If your job is on life support, you need the job doctor. My brain is a walking database of thousands of case studies on how careers rise and fall. I'll help you diagnose what's really going on. It's the guidance you need to get back on track from someone who's been there. You can make the money you always wanted to make, doing the type of work you have always wanted to do. You may just need a little help from the job doctor. Welcome, everybody. The job doctor is in today. And today uh, we have a call, it looks like, from Joshua. Joshua, welcome to the show. And I'd love to hear what's happening in your work world. Hi, Tessa. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm Josh. I've been a software engineer, front-end developer for going on a decade now um, in the Midwest. I'm in the Kansas City area. Oh, you're and in a good career. That's a good career choice. Yeah, it's uh, it's been great. And as things are getting to that decade mark, I'm sort of looking to make the leap to the next step in my career, trying to break into leadership, break into management looking at how I can have that next level of influence within uh, how the teams that I'm participating in are run. And um, so I guess my first question is when you're at an organization where you're trying to make as much impact as you can, you know, you're trying to help fine tune processes that Mm -hmm. you think could be updated. Maybe there's some outmoded ways of thinking, um, and you really think that you can make an impact, but you're struggling to get buy-in from leadership and kind of get them to give you a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you suggest for how to break into those conversations more effectively? Um, if you're already kind of putting in that work, but you feel like you're not getting the traction that you're hoping oh, for, that's a juicy question. Uh, first of all, let me find out what your industry is. I know you're a software developer, but what kind of industry are you working in? Yeah. So right now I'm in the healthcare space, working on automating some processes around the communication between healthcare providers and insurance companies. Okay. I've worked in financial services. I've worked in marketing, but right now I'm in healthcare. It's an important question because every company has a different, uh, I call it politics. Some people call it culture, but the politics of a company are very different. I worked in healthcare. I don't know if you knew that, but I was the head of HR in healthcare, did really well there. And then I moved to a company that was in tech. And the reason I asked the question is because I did the same things at the new company that I did at the old company. And I behaved the same way, but I didn't realize that different companies, the politics are different. So the new company really valued speed and the new company really valued, uh, you know, somebody who's a cowboy, try something, get it done, you know, just go, go do it on your own. Whereas in healthcare, healthcare is a little more buttoned up. They typically like to make decisions more collaboratively rather than have an independent person, you know, go off and do their thing. And they typically go a little slower because they want to get it right the first time. So they're more slow or deliberate as opposed to really fast. Um, So let me just confirm first, is that true of your healthcare company? Well, we are a kind of engineering first startup that's working in the healthcare space, but we're not necessarily a healthcare organization. So I'd say that we kind of split the difference where we are looking to Mm -hmm. be disruptors in the space and work fast, but we're also working within the framework of uh, dealing with sensitive information, dealing with, you know, strict regulatory stuff. So Mm -hmm. 
Um, okay. Yeah. So a little of both. So here's what I would ask you that people that follow me have heard me talk about this before, but we're going to talk about kind of the five elements of politics for a minute. Is your company fast or slow? Fast would be a 10, slow a one. Just give me a number really quick. Mm, seven. Seven. Is your company more innovative? Like I really love new ideas. Or are they more traditional? Traditional one, innovative a 10. Eight. Eight. Okay. Is your company more risk taker? Meaning that's a 10. Or are they more, no, let's just do it right the first time. Definitely we have a culture of risk taking and disruption um, that has day-to-day realities that constrain it. So, you know, again, maybe a seven. Okay, good, good. And I can almost tell where this is going to go on this. Um, One more question. Do you make independent decisions? Is that what they value? Somebody who has an idea and just runs with it? Or do you have to make them by committee or collaborative, like, like with teams, a lot of people buying in? Yeah, I think that the emphasis is on individual contribution, okay. but we are, I would say something you, not unique to our organization, but uh, something that we're working on that I've seen at several of the startups that I've worked at is I think we're still trying to nail down that part of startup growth sure. where You've started with a small core team Mm -hmm. and everybody's tight knit. Everybody knows how to rely on each other. Um, Institutional knowledge Mm -hmm. is really baked in uh, with a small group of people. And then you go to this rapid growth phase where you're maybe quadrupling the size of your staff in a year Mm -hmm. and making sure that the information that's necessary to make decisions and just the the influence, the trust that has to go into letting people act individually takes time to kind of filter out um, as you bring people on so rapidly. So I think we're in a place where we want to be allowing people to contribute individually more than we practically can because we're kind of chained to this lack of information. A few people are holding all the cards, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, when I look at your numbers, I, uh, so we give the, I'll give that a five then. When you look at your numbers, your your company behaves more like a startup than it does a really buttoned down bigger company. And that gives us clues as to how you can win. And you can win in a company that is more fast moving, a little more innovative, a little more risk taking when you also match your style to that. So my recommendation to you is you already seem to have an idea of what's broken, right? Some of the things that can be improved sounds like i'd like to think so okay so if you have an idea of what's broken and that should be your focus not doing your job description better but what's broken and how the company can win you need to put together a proposal um, that you can put in front of the people that make decisions in the company and you can do this individually and you can see if you can get an audience in a bigger meeting i would start with your boss and your boss's boss and see if they would be an audience to you. And in a company that moves faster like this, but that is still trying to do institutional knowledge, this is the trick. You have to be concise and get to your point quick. And that means that no more than four slides. And you're going to talk about what's the problem, what's the potential solution that I'm offering or the thing I'm asking right up front. What am I asking? Here's the benefits of it. Here's the risks of it. 
here's the potential costs of it, and then what questions do you have, and any data that can be supportive at the end. Because, you know, what I don't want is a 20-page slide deck. You want a four slides sure. with a couple of pictures. And then you start talking to people. The language of the business is numbers, and you're a developer, you know about how important facts are and, you know, specifics. So if I were you, I would begin deciding what you think could be the biggest thing to move the needle with the lowest amount of risk to the company and to you, by the way, because you don't want to go too big too fast. Pick something you can win at, talk to your boss, see if you can get a bigger audience, go bigger, bigger, bigger until you can get in front of some decision makers. Ask your boss if you can get in front of some decision makers to actually make that because I want you to be the, the person that they see that's solving the problems. And mm. part of it is asking your boss to help support you being visible in the organization of being that guy that does that. So that's one thing that can really help you. Um, have you tried that before? I have. Um, one thing that I've run into is that if I'm trying to leverage that type of effort mm-hmm. in order to expand my sphere of influence or demonstrate that mm-hmm. I'm ready for a different kind of responsibility. Right. Um, those types of tasks require some upfront buy-in. Right. Like you sort of need a certain amount of authority to tackle some of those problems. Right. And so that's where I've gotten stuck sometimes is getting buy-in to do the thing that will move the needle. Uh, do you have any tips around that? Yeah. I mean, anytime you have an idea of something that needs to be fixed, you grease the skids. You've got to grease the skids with your executives and you do it privately, I found. I never go into a meeting thinking I have something brilliant to say or I'm going to talk people into my idea. You always go into those meetings having already had the conversations behind closed doors with, with the individuals that are the influencers. And my advice is understand what their biggest problem is. Understand from their perspective how this could help them. It's like doing a big homework assignment and just understanding from their point of view, because what you're trying to do is convey from their point of view, their pain point, how it can be fixed. So go into everything, trying to be the greatest expert on their pain point in those individual meetings. That'll help a lot. I think a lot of people make the mistake of going in and thinking just because they have a good idea, somehow they're going to be viewed as being brilliant and it's going to work great. And it doesn't. Not until you go into it understanding what they want and really, really digging deep will you have any ability to move the needle. And it's going to be different for every person that you meet with. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, So as a follow-up to that kind of related, you know, there's this notion that in order to move up the ladder into roles that have more authority, a little more influence, the typical chain is sort of vertical where Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm an individual contributor. Mm -hmm. I become a stronger individual contributor. Mm -hmm. I become a stronger individual contributor. And eventually that translates into, Hey, we value you enough that we're going to give you some authority or a leadership responsibility. Mm -hmm. We're going to make you a team lead. We're going to make you a supervisor. And what I've run into is I've discovered that, my my leadership uh, and executive skills outweigh my individual contributor skills. And so 
if somebody's in this position where they're recognizing, you know, these are two different skill sets. They are. And they don't necessarily overlap. Sometimes they're mutually exclusive. And I'm trying to convince people that, hey, I know that I haven't become a senior engineer and then a lead engineer and then a team lead. Mm -hmm. And that could take 10 years. I would have to bust my hump to, you know, become a stronger and stronger individual contributor just to switch gears later. Is there a way to, without seeming like I'm trying to cut in line or incur negative sentiment, um, you know, make that case that, hey, I think I've got some value add to the organization in another area. And I would really like to try that out. Like I said, these are kind of areas where you're asking for authority and there has to be some buy-in up front. So yeah, do you have ideas on how I can make that case, how I can demonstrate those abilities without having to go back to school or get a different cert or that type of thing just within the organization itself. Here's what's interesting about career growth and career paths and everything. Your leaders are not spending nearly as much time as you think they are thinking about you. I mean, they, they spend very little time thinking about you until performance appraisals come along. And even then they're trying to just get it out of their hair. So if you really want to grow and you really want to move, the degree to which you can define the steps you want in the career the job you want, the skill you want to develop, and how to actually get it in your organization, which isn't that hard. I mean, you just look around. You look around. Where's the problems? Who are the people I want to work with? And you actually write the script. Sounds horrible, but you write the script for your manager. This is what I would like to do. This is how I would like to grow. Here's an opportunity over here. I see that maybe we could put me in uh, that would fit the bill. Uh, Would you be supportive of that? Or do you have some other ideas? When you write the script for your manager, they will more than likely part the water for you and make sure that you get where you need mm-hmm. to go. But when you ask them to help you grow, period, they, they just, they're lost. They're a little lost on how to do it because very few companies have really clear paths, pathways for their employees to do it. So my advice is figure out where you want to go, make it known, talk to people, write the script. That's that's really is truly how people can accelerate their growth um, plan. Not I would never wait for a company to figure out for me what I'm good at and then wait for them to put me in that role. It just won't happen. You'll wait a long time, as you're probably finding. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that there are certain markers of organizations? that we can look for that indicate that this is an organization that is actively, you know, interested in developing their people, that they want everybody to be maximizing their potential in a role that's a good fit for them. Is that kind of a unicorn thing to be looking for? Or is that a reasonable thing to be looking for that there are specific markers we can watch out for? Well, your best marker is a company that has people dedicated to training in human resources. If a company has funded training and there's a fairly robust team, that's a pretty good idea that the company thinks about training a lot because training is usually the first thing cut in HR. Mm. So that would be one indicator. Um, Asking about career paths and having them show you career paths, that would be a good indicator that there's something there. Um, Or having more than just a performance appraisal, annual performance appraisal. If they actually, if you ask them, how do you grow your people? 
I, I would say eight out of 10 companies are going to say, yeah, we really like to promote from within and help our people build skills. And it mm-hmm. means absolutely nothing, right? It's kind of like saying, right. come work for us. We're amazing. It, it's just like, there's no proof point there. But when you start to ask, are there dollars attached to me doing some learning and development on my own outside of the company? That's a good indication. The company says, yeah, mm-hmm. if if you have a class that you want to take and you can tie it to how it can help the company, that's a good indication that they have it. But, but just because a company doesn't have that robust commitment to training does not necessarily mean it's going to be a bad company for you to grow in. All that means to me, that's just, I'm a fisherman. And when I fish, a no trespassing sign to me means proceed with caution. I'm going to make that, that announcement. I, I'm a terrible rule breaker. And when you go into a company that doesn't necessarily have a, a, a robust plan or it says no, no training plan, proceed with caution. All it means is that you've got, you're going to have the burden on you to try and, mm-hmm. and write the script. And, and actually, it's a great opportunity because so few people will do that. People will leave before they'll do that. And so if you have the wherewithal to actually put together, here's what I'd like, here's how I'd like to be developed, here's where I'd like to grow hey, can I sit down on this executive meeting to see how you run meetings? I'd really like to present something and, and learn you know, the art of proposals. Wow, I'd really like to help head up that cross-functional team. I'd really like to help the, you know, the CEO uh, put together the lunch and learn for the employees. You can create this environment of learning and growth for yourself. The, um, the, the smartest guy I ever knew, knew was called cubicle. I called him cubicle guy. He sat next to me in a cubicle. And he was just like a normal dude. And then one day I'm walking past uh, one of the executive's offices and he's sitting in there talking to the executive. I'm like, hey, that's weird. I wonder if he knows him. Then I start seeing him at lunch with different people, like from different departments. And then one day I walk past the CEO's office and there's all the executives and cubicle guy is actually drawing something on a whiteboard. I'm like, what is going on? Is this like a secret shopper or something that's, you know, come in and, mm-hmm. and, and spying on the company? truth is he was just curious he was naturally curious he wanted to see what the problems were he dug into the company financials he listened to the quarterly reports and he became a curator of knowledge and he actually became a vp after being just cubicle guy and so what i'm saying is you you could be cubicle guy that becomes a vp simply by asking questions being curious and writing the script yeah that's that's really useful i think it's shifting my my understanding a little bit looking back on efforts that I've made in the past mm-hmm. um, in that vein right. where I feel like to a certain extent, I've been cubicle guy. Like I'm going and talking to the execs on change management initiatives. I'm volunteering for participating in, uh, in different groups where we're talking about how to improve things in the organization. I'm chasing down executives to ask them to have lunch with me once a week and sort of mentor me and that type of thing. And somehow it just hasn't translated. And I've reached a place where across several organizations, um, you know, I've been putting in what feels like all this footwork, trying to be visible, trying to do what I think of as what the organization wants from like an engaged, you know, person. Right. And I think the difference that I'm hearing in what you're describing is taking it from a level of trying to convince them to let me do something and getting buy-in yeah, um, 
and just sort of being there and participating and um, going from kind of a stance of trying to get permission to just starting to do things and then waiting for them to recognize it or finding ways to draw attention to it. Bingo. Um, It's a reframe. It's exactly what you said. It's a reframe. What you're doing and what you're describing is you're halfway there, which is fantastic. You're inserting yourself. You're adding ideas. You're asking, you know, help me learn, you know, mentor me. What can you, but if you just make the slightest change and that changes behaving as though you have a right to be there and the right to have a voice. And my guess is that you're coming short on the asks. The asks need to be, you know, if this is a problem and you tell them about the problem, don't just leave it in their hands and go, I gave them the information. I hope they do something with it. The next part of you being deserving of being there is saying, I'd really like to tackle that. Would you mind if I take that? I'd really like to take that and give you back something on that. I'd really like to do this, uh, you know, report on a regular basis on this and see if it has legs, see if we can Mm -hmm. do something with it. It's just one step further. Just take it one more step further. And I think you'll find that you'll get the traction that you want because you're partway there already. Yeah. And that's encouraging. Um, So to follow up on that, I'm someone who's always been pretty extroverted. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't mind talking to people that I don't know. Um, I, I generally don't think of myself as being pushy when I'm just trying to have a conversation with somebody in this context. But I know that a lot of people that I work with, um, you know, particularly engineers tend to be pretty quiet, mm-hmm. introverted folks mm-hmm. um, who are maybe listening to this and like quaking in their boots. Thinking, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I've got to like be this pushy, extroverted person in order to make this work. What would you say to folks who maybe have similar goals to what I'm describing, mm-hmm. but are are really paralyzed by the idea of having to. Uh, be sort of more extroverted and network harder, that type of thing. Yeah. The, the other way wins numbers. You don't need to talk well to ha- use numbers and vis- visually mm-hmm. present data. Really powerful people and companies, uh, regardless of whether they have the title that would say they have power, are people that put data and knowledge in front of other people. Like 80% of the data in a company that they have access to, you'll know this, is dark data. They don't even see it. It exists somewhere, but it's not in a formal report. And I can't even begin mm-hmm. to tell you how many people I work with that have found, even in really mature companies where you think all the nuggets of gold have been found, will find pieces of information that will help the company run better and make a better decision. And they put that information in front of somebody. So you don't have to talk well, but if you can tell a picture in numbers or, um, you know, infographics, data, you can have the same kind of influence that you can by networking. In fact, it's, it's actually more powerful. Awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned really mature companies. Do you find that there's any differences in how you would approach this at small versus large organizations or new versus old organizations? Uh, Do you find different mindsets kind of prevail in those? uh, It it really is as different as the personality of the particular company. You have to read the environment Mm -hmm. a little bit um, before you know um, exactly how to manage it. Uh, I just talked to a gentleman from Visa the other day. He found a piece of data that was like gold. He learned that in a new product that they had, nobody was looking at if they took their clients and put them into this new product in a certain way that 
it would increase the volume of business for these companies. And he was able to pull all this data out. And he goes, he went to his boss and goes, look, I, I found, I think I found something. That something ended up being millions and millions and millions of dollars that uh, was just money laying on the table that he found just because he was curious. So curiosity is the first thing. Being able to present it in a way that normal people that don't live in numbers all day can see it and understand it. So simple infographics, mm-hmm. not detailed 20-page reports. That's really all that's required. And then read your, read your environment. In some environments, if you skip levels and go straight to the CEO, you're in trouble. In other companies, you can do that. You just have to read the environment as to what works the best. And then go from there. Sure. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of things today. That was just a lot of information. A couple of questions that took us down a lot of rabbit holes. But tell me, if is there anything that you will take away from what we talked about that you feel like is going to help you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the most useful takeaway for me is the idea that I can translate some of this high RPM effort that I've been putting in and Mm -hmm. sort of wearing myself out with and getting a little disillusioned with. Uh, I can translate that into more torque in a sense. Right. um, By being a little smarter about making the things that I'm seeing concrete, mm-hmm. um, making it more precise um, when it comes to uh, trying to tie it to a specific thing that I'm trying to achieve instead of just asking for a general um, wish list or you know help in a vague sense and really trying to leverage more concrete data that is tied to a business need or the need of a key stakeholder in the organization. Yeah. So that I'm not just trying to impress them with my savvy or my drive. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm actually solving a, a concrete specific problem. And then they can appreciate that and extrapolate from that. Yeah. I think if you put a period on your asks too, like don't just leave it out there. Right? If you have great ideas and information, follow it up with your ask. What, what is your ask? What are you going to do with that information? Mm-hmm. What are you asking them? What decision are you asking them to make with it and allow you to do? That's how you're going to put the period, I think, on all of the things that you're doing and get it to the next level where you actually get to do something with all this great knowledge that you have. So Great. That's super helpful. Okay. Thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Will you, um, I'm, I'm insanely curious after I give advice, how it works out. I'm, I'm going to be curious and ask you to check in with me after you've had yeah, a chance absolutely. to try it and let me know how it goes. Yeah. Thank you again. All right. Thanks so much, Joshua. We'll see you later. If you like my podcast, you will absolutely love my book. It's called the unspoken truths for career success, navigating pay promotions and power at work. I wrote it because I could see that people didn't understand why some people got ahead and some people's career stayed stagnant. So if you're interested in building a more frictionless career path for yourself and having a better experience with work, this is a book that you need to have. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to my website at thejobdoctor.com.